Lesson 5 for April 27 through to May 3, ready for teaching on May 4, Wise Words for Families. Read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, April 27. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word once again and for the opportunity of being able to study it this week. As we read through this Sabbath school lesson, we pray that we may find their gems of truth that will help us in our daily walk with Jesus and also our walk with our families and friends. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways... Acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Whatever phase of life we are in now, we all, of course, started out with the mother and the father, regardless of the kind of relationship, if any at all, that we had with them after our birth. On the other hand, some people, other than having siblings or other relatives, never have a family of their own other than the one they grew up in. Whatever our situation, whatever our phase of life, the book of Proverbs contains a combination of instructions, poems, questions, and wise sayings. Family relationships are directly addressed, and other words of wisdom can be applied to the home. Proverbs is, in fact, cast as a family document in which keys to a godly life are handed down from parent to child. Just as parents might write a letter of advice to a son or daughter going to college, setting up their separate dwelling, or taking a job away from home, so Proverbs is addressed from father to son. Proverbs 1.8 reads, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. Deuteronomy directed parents to share their convictions with the next generation. This is what Proverbs does. In the Father's summons, we hear the voice of our Heavenly Father calling us to learn. Sunday, April 28. Love the Right Woman. Question. List the problems and consequences involved with a sexual liaison before marriage or an extramarital affair as depicted in Proverbs 5, 3 to 14. Proverbs 5, beginning at verse 3. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell, lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable, you do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honour to others, and your years to the cruel one. 
lest aliens be filled with your wealth, and your labours go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed, and say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction! I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin, in the midst of the assembly and congregation. The godly person reserves, if not married, and preserves, if married, his or her deepest affections and sexual intimacy for marriage. Men are specifically addressed in Proverbs, but the same idea as it relates to women is expressed in the Song of Solomon, in Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verses 12 to 15. And that reads, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Her plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, fragrant henna with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon." The powerful attraction of illicit love must be weighed against the horrific consequences of this sin. Casual sexual liaisons lack commitment and therefore fall far short of the true intimacy. Material, physical and emotional resources are squandered. Most important, one must answer to God for the choices made in life. Sexual intimacy, one of God's greatest gifts to humans, is a privilege for marriage only, as we read in Matthew 19, verse 5, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honourable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. In Proverbs, the imagery of nourishing, plentiful water is used as a delicate symbol of the pleasure and satisfaction a married couple ought to obtain in their love together. This is contrasted with the waste that results when there is unfaithfulness. The expression, the wife of your youth, in Proverbs 5.18, indicates that even when the two grow older, their commitment is to continue. A husband is still ravished or intoxicated, as it says in Proverbs 5.19, by his wife's charms. In the human fallen condition, sexual instincts can lure individuals away from the divine design for sexuality. However, God also has given humanity the power to reason and to choose. These temptations, if not continually suppressed, can become overwhelming. A firm commitment to the divine design for sexuality in marriage can prevent the development of illicit sexual relationships. The choice of lifelong faithfulness to God's design for sexuality in marriage not only is prudent, but carries its own bountiful rewards. 
And so, to finish today, if you know someone struggling with sexual temptations that could destroy a marriage, what counsels would you give that person? Monday, April 29, A Call to Fathers Question. Note the character qualities of fathers described in Proverbs that can have long-term consequences for children. First of all, Proverbs 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 23 and 24. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks, and attend to your herds, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Proverbs fourteen twenty-six. In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Proverbs 16 and verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 27. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. And Proverbs 29, verse 17. Correct your son, and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. The characters of fathers have a direct impact on their children and the legacy they pass on to them. Children look to their fathers for support, devoted affection, guidance, and modelling. Proverbs lords those fathers who are reliable providers and wise managers of family resources. Many are the ways in which, as it says in Proverbs 15.27, the greedy bring ruin to their household. Fathers must be mindful to give priority to family over work. Godly fathers seek to be patient and in command of their emotions. They respect their children's dependence upon them. They discipline their children, but are careful not to abuse their position of authority. Most important, dedicated fathers want to follow God, to be controlled by His love and by the teaching of His Word, that they might guide the feet of their children in the right way. In the end... The most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. His faithfulness and continuing affection for her, or the lack of these, have a telling effect upon children's well-being, even into adulthood. In Proverbs, loyalty to God, commitment to marriage and family, and integrity in one's personal and community life are key themes. Success in everything depends upon the condition of the individual heart. The attractions of sin, whether sex, sloth, wealth or power, abound. But 
The wise husband and father looks to God for help to make right choices continually. So to finish the day, how are the moral principles expressed here important for anyone, whether or not a father? How have your actions, either for good or bad, impacted others, especially children? In what ways might you need to be more careful? Tuesday, April 30, Correction with Love Question. What does Proverbs teach about the importance of discipline and correction of a child? Proverbs 10, verse 17. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs 29, verse 1. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And verse 15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Parents sometimes discipline their children to impress upon them what is socially unacceptable behaviour, to punish for disobedience, or even to express their displeasure when embarrassed. But what is God's intention regarding discipline for these young members of his family? Proverbs sets discipline in the context of hope for the future. In Proverbs 19, verse 18, Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. Godly parents know that children have a sinful nature. Only one power can help them with this, and this power is Christ, as we read in the book Education by Ellen White, page 29. Christ is the light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world, John 1, nine. As through Christ every human being has life, so also through him every soul receives some ray of divine light. Not only intellectual, but spiritual power, a perception of right, a desire of goodness exists in every heart. But against these principles there is struggling an antagonistic power. The result of the eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is manifest in every man's experience. There is in his nature a bent to evil, a force which, unaided, he cannot resist. To withstand this force, to attain that ideal which in his inmost soul he accepts as alone worthy, he can find himself in but one power. The power is Christ. Cooperation with that power is man's greatest need. In all educational effort, should not this cooperation be the highest aim? The true teacher is not satisfied with second-rate work. He is not satisfied with directing his students to a standard lower than the highest which it is possible for them to attain. 
He cannot be content with imparting to them only technical knowledge, with making them merely clever accountants, skilful artisans, successful tradesmen. It is his ambition to inspire them with principles of truth, obedience, honour, integrity and purity, principles that will make them a positive force for the stability and uplifting of society. He desires them, above all else, to learn life's great lesson of unselfish surface. End of quote. The mission of Christian parenting, including discipline, is to lead children to God. Supporting a tender plant. Through Christ, discipline is seen not as punishment nor as an expression of authority, but as redemptive correction. God's plan is that loving parents, knowing the strength of sin, guide their children's footsteps to Christ. Caring parents correct kindly and firmly, restraining and guiding children through the early years, much as a horticulturalist provides support to a newly planted tree, until self-control emerges and a youth comes to trust in God and cooperates with the divine plan for salvation, growth and maturity. Question. What message for parents is found in Proverbs 13.24, 23.13 and 14? First of all, Proverbs 13.24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with the rod he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. All told, just a few verses mention the rod, Hebrews Shabbat, in the context of disciplining children. Popular within Christian parenting literature is the notion that parental use of the rod should be like that in the heavenly shepherd who uses it to guide his flock. Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Elsewhere, Scripture points to patient teaching, consistent modelling, good communication and close relationships for influencing change in children. Deuteronomy 11 verses 18 and 19 reads, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. The child's feeling of being loved by his or her parents is vital if discipline is to have its desired effect of being corrective and redemptive, as we read in Proverbs 13.24, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. So, to finish today, when discipline has missed its intended purpose by being too harsh or misunderstood, how can parents set matters right with their children?
Wednesday, May 1. Is life better on a rooftop? Question. In what way does the book of Proverbs sprinkle humour on some of the irritations of domestic living? And what effect does this humour have? Proverbs 21, verse 9. Better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And verse 19, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. And Proverbs 27, verses 15 and 16, a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whoever restrains her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. A number of these proverbs consider the ways we treat each other in close relationships. They make their point with a light touch and a flash of wit, like the ones about the insensitive friend who sings songs to a heavy heart in Proverbs 25 verse 20, and the early rising family member who blesses sleepers with a loud voice in Proverbs 27 14. Wives, reading these verses about contentious women, may want to add some proverbs about men. They may retort that such sayings perpetuate the very problem of these proverbs by targeting only women when husbands, who share responsibility for the home atmosphere, are equally capable of contentious behaviour. Imagine what it must have been like living in the home of Caiaphas or Annas. A merry heart helps. Having a sense of humour in family living is a good thing. Humour lubricates the machinery of living, helping to reduce stresses and strains, as it says in Proverbs 17.22, A merry heart does good, like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Proverbs takes some of its own medicine throughout the book and gives us permission to chuckle at a few of the behaviours that annoy and irritate. Perhaps, when we have smiled or smarted a bit if the joke is on us, we are in a better place to talk about habits or behaviours that irritate or annoy us. On the other hand, humour should not be used to minimise or bypass issues that need serious attention. A low-grade fever may be symptomatic of a chronic infection. Quarrelling, nagging and complaining may signal that there is suppressed anger in one or more family members, perhaps related to difficulties with mutuality or communication in the relationship. The complaining partner tries to offset the perceived power, control and unwillingness to communicate of another. If the infection is cleared up, the symptoms will go away. In families, rather than avoiding the problem or one another, members build on their love for the Lord and their commitment to one another by communicating their needs and feelings, getting to the root of their anger, and clearing it up. So, to finish today, why is laughter so important for the home? How can it be used for good, or how can it be perverted and used for evil? Bring your answer to class.
Thursday, May 2, A Truly Wealthy Wife Question. The book of Proverbs closes with praise for a wife of noble character. Identify the characteristics and qualities that are lauded in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 to 31. Who can find a virtuous wife, for her worth is far above rubies? The heart of a husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hand to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes fine linen garments and sells them, and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honour are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruits of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. The woman described is special, and so is the poetry. Each of the verses starting from Proverbs 31, verse 10, begins with one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. One senses from this tribute to a worthy wife that even the whole national alphabet barely provides a sufficient framework to extol her properly. Proverbs' emphasis on marrying a good partner is reflected in a dictum of the rabbis. A man's home is his wife, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, it says in Proverbs 12, verse 4, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Here, at the end of the Proverbs, rolled idealistically into a portrait of one, are many varied skills. Clothing manufacture, buying real estate, agriculture, home and financial management. Meanwhile, she cares well for her family. They love her and praise her. These extensive talents are not to be expected in every woman, nor are they a blueprint whereby husbands should measure their wives. Rather, through describing these capabilities and qualities, Proverbs conveys what is most important and universally relevant for women as well as for men, the traits of trustworthiness, compassion, reliability, faithfulness, kindness, 
and industry. The secret of such a life, according to Proverbs 31 verse 30, is that she fears the Lord. In verse 10 we read the word for virtuous, or of noble character, and it means strength, might, or wealth. It is translated as riches in Psalm 62.10 and describes Joshua's men of valour in Joshua 1.14. Boaz commends Ruth with the word virtuous in Ruth 3.11. In Proverbs 31.10 there is a play on the concept of wealth. True wealth lies in character, integrity and the fear of the Lord. Let's read that again. Chapter 31 and verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. This vastly exceeds the worth to be found in precious stones. So, to finish today, who are some of the women of valour and virtue who have influenced your life? How would you expand the list of character qualities, virtues and capacities of godly women. Friday, May 3. From the Comments in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 3, page 1157, Ellen White writes, Christians should be careful that they keep the heart with all diligence. They should cultivate a love for meditation and cherish a spirit of devotion. Many seem to begrudge moments spent in meditation and the searching of the scriptures and prayer as though the time thus occupied was lost. I wish you could all view these things in the light God would have for you, for you would then make the kingdom of heaven of the first importance. To keep your heart in heaven will give vigour to all your graces, and put life into all your duties. To discipline the mind to dwell upon heavenly things will put life and earnestness into all our endeavours. We are dwarfs in spiritual attainments. End of quote. And that brings us to our three, no, four discussion questions for this week. One, many Christians find a support group network helpful as they seek to guard their hearts against temptation. In what way might this augment prayer, Bible study and reliance on the Holy Spirit? In some cases, why might it be a good idea to seek professional help if someone really struggles with temptations that do lead them into sin? and they seem unable to stop. 2. As a class, read your answers aloud to Wednesday's final question. Discuss the implications of your various answers. As with so many of the wonderful things that God has given us, how can laughter and humour be perverted and twisted into being something actually harmful? 3. In contrast to Proverbs 31, what qualities does contemporary culture tend to exalt in women? How can we as individuals protect ourselves from partaking of that same degrading attitude? 
For, in general, what are some of the cultural attitudes about family life in your society that directly conflict with biblical principles of family life? On the other hand, are there some cultural attitudes that parallel biblical principles? If so, what are they? And how can they be used to strengthen our families? Inside Story Our mission story this week is by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission and it's titled Baby is Coming. A physician praying to be used by God after hearing a Sabbath sermon about mission work in the cities unexpectedly delivered a baby in the parking lot of the Seventh-day Adventist World Church's United States headquarters. Dr. Yvette C. Ross-Hebron delivered a healthy baby boy in the car of her parents, who had been rushing to the hospital but pulled into the church's parking lot in Silver Spring, Maryland, after getting lost. Ross-Hebron said she believed God arranged the events. The most wonderful opportunity in response to our prayers was orchestrated by the Master, she said. Ross Hebron began praying about how to do more to serve God after hearing Adventist Church President Ted N.C. Wilson preach during the 2017 Annual Council business meetings at the Church's General Conference headquarters. The church leader had appealed for a renewed effort to reach people in the cities and spoke of the need for physicians and other healthcare professionals to reach city residents. Five days after the sermon, Ross Hebron and her husband were driving past church headquarters when they saw a man pull into the parking lot, frantically jump from his car and run around it. Rolling down the window, she heard him crying and screaming, The baby is coming! Then she heard the screams of the expectant mother in the car. My husband and I immediately pulled into the driveway, she said. Moments later, the baby was born. As Harold Hebron telephoned the paramedics, the new father removed his shoelaces from his tennis shoes and found a pair of scissors in the car. Following Ross Hebron's directions, he tied off the umbilical cord and cut it. Ross Hebron wrapped the baby in a blanket from her car and made sure that he was comfortable and breathing fine. General Conference security arrived and fostered a calm environment. After a short time, the paramedics took a healthy and stable mother and baby to the hospital. Later that day, Ross Hebron visited the mother in the hospital and again held the baby in her arms. The mother excitedly told the nurses that God sent an angel to help her in the parking lot. I don't know where she came from, the mother said. I just looked up and she was there. Ross Hebron said she has no doubt that what happened in the parking lot was an answer to prayer. My husband and I attribute all to God's plan, she said. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.